Welcome to the H&E Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through discussions on church history, biblical spirituality, the Bible, Christian living, and theology. Shall we get started? Welcome to the Hesed and Emmett Podcast. I'm your host, Trans Faulkner, and today I have Dr. Stephen Weaver and uh, Ian Clare with me. Uh, brothers, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So why don't you guys both introduce yourself for our listeners? We, we don't have that many listeners, so Ian, why don't we start with you? I was going to say age before beauty, and then I hesitate now, but... Um... Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, this is great. I'm, I'm glad to get to chat with you guys about, I think, what will be some some interesting subject material. Um, yeah, my name's Ian. Um, I am currently Assistant Professor of Historical Theology at Colorado Christian University, which is in Lakewood, Colorado, just outside of Denver. And um, I'm just getting ready to go now into my fourth year of teaching here. And so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and, uh, but before that, I, uh, you know, was born and raised in, in Canada, uh, born in Windsor, Ontario and, uh, raised there. And then, uh, for the last 15 years before moving here, I lived in Toronto. Uh, so I did, uh, studies at Toronto Baptist Seminary, Heritage College. I uh, did a PhD under Michael Haken, um, at the University of the Free State, which is actually in Bloemfontein, South Africa where I wrote a dissertation that's just about to be published um, on a Canadian Baptist named Arnold Ballamore, looking at his approach to history. Um, so we live here, my wife, Vicki, and four kids, Jack, Molly, Kate, and Tom. They're all 10 and under, so lots of fun. All right, and Stephen? I'm Steve Weaver. I'm a pastor in Frankfort, Kentucky. And uh, I've been here for 12 and a half years now and uh, got to know Ian uh, through our mutual friendship with Dr. Michael Haken. And uh, that was a tremendous blessing. And um, Ian and I, of course, did work together that we'll talk about in this podcast. But I have a wife, Greta, and six children, and they are beginning very rapidly to leave the nest. I had a daughter get married last weekend and then a son propose uh to a young lady this week or this past weekend and and then he's ready i mean they're ready to within weeks if or months to be married so it's going to happen really quickly so two are going to leave just like that within months of each other we still have four at home but it it feels like empty nest when they're when the other two are away. It's like, why do we have so much food and space with only four kids here? So, so I've been pastoring here for twelve and a half years. Like I said, it's been a great uh, blessing. I did a, a master of divinity at Southern Seminary, and then uh, a PhD in church history, historical theology. Doctor Nettles was my supervisor, but Doctor Haken was my unofficial supervisor. And uh, he uh, helped me tremendously before the Ph.D. program in bringing me to uh, Southern and then uh, during the program. And since then, as a trusted mentor and friend, as he is, I think, to all three of us. That's great. Like I said earlier, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to finally see you guys face to face. I've corresponded with you through email and through Twitter and Facebook. 
So you guys in 2013 co-edited uh, a very small volume, uh, The Pure Flame of Devotion, A History of Christian Spirituality. Can you guys tell me a little bit more about that? What brought that about? Uh, what is it? Well, I'm going to turn it over to Ian because this was Ian's brainchild. He brought it up and uh, he int introduced the topic to me and I was all for it. We wanted to honor our friend and mentor, Dr. Michael Haken, on his 60th birthday. And uh, so we wanted to do that in a way that not only honored him as a scholar, but the best way to honor him as a scholar is to do a scholarly work. Uh, and so we wanted to get the best, uh, the best authors on the on the topic, the experts on the topics that they were going to address uh, to speak about issues of spirituality in church history. Obviously, Dr. Haken is a church historian, but also has a huge interest in biblical spirituality and heads up a program at Southern in that area. And so combining those two, uh, spirituality in church history. And so we ended up doing a, a project putting together with a, a group of contributors that uh, that everyone, our first choices answered yes uh, on each topic, and uh, so and rapidly. So we had really good response, and uh, we wanted to do something that would honor him, but also be of use to the church. And uh, that was the best way for us to honor him. Ian could talk more because he was in on that. That's the vision he shared with me that we carried out, but uh, he can share more about kind of where that vision came from and, and what his goal was in this. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good survey and, and description that you're giving there. Um, you know, Dr. Haken has had just such a huge influence on so many people, and that sort of explains the, the, the thickness of the book, because you know, there's just so many people we thought, oh, they, this, this so-and-so should be here. This person should be in this. And, uh, and it's a, I think a testimony to just the, the sort of, um, the sort of scholar he is, but also the sort of person and friend that he is that, as you said, you know, all, everybody was just clamoring to, to be a part of the, the book. Yeah. So his birthday, uh, 60th birthday was in 2013. And, uh, just with, with knowing that that was approaching, uh, knowing that, uh, scholars, when they want to honor uh, one of their own, often do so with a book that's called a festschrift, and uh, and so that's what this is. Uh, we wanted to kind of like to have a twofold approach. We wanted that uh, way of of being able to honor Dr. Haken, um, but also at the same time we wanted a book that was pretty usable. A lot of festschrifts will have one or two chapters in there that people might read or source, um, but by and large, a lot of the chapters in, in festschrifts just sort of sit on the shelf, and we didn't want that to happen, largely because of Dr. Haken's legacy. We wanted this to stay in circulation, so we thought let's let's do a book that's kind of more textbook oriented, and so it's it's divided up into four major areas of 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 the history of Christian spirituality, beginning with the early church down to the modern period, and then a section on Baptists because Dr. Haken obviously has a huge love for the Baptists, and we thought that this could actually then be used as as course text. I've used it in some of my courses. I probably should again. Uh, and, uh, and so we wanted it to have that kind of twofold function. And so I, I hope that it has the desired effect. Um, you know, this is what, seven years later almost. So it's funny as I was reading through, I was kind of in one sense sad because, uh, now I can't 
I can't get this for him, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, how do I honor him after this has been published? So, uh, no, I'm, I'm really thrilled. A, a wonderful resource. Some scholars, I'll say this, some scholars, uh, you think of the late J.I. Packer who just left us. Uh, I think there was two Feshers done for him. Uh, the earlier one, because he's already fairly old, and then they thought, oh, he might pass away soon. And that was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so then I think there's been another one done for him, right? There's, there's uh, two. I'm pretty sure that's your contribution. <laughs> but a chance you just keep it in print and keep it out there. I think I think the biggest hindrance for it was was it, was its original cost. I, I think that was probably one of the bigger the bigger hurdles that we had to kind of jump because it was such a, a sizable book, and uh, production costs were a little bit higher on it than it, it upped the price of the volumes. And I and I wonder if that sort of had a, an effect in the long term. But that makes sense. It's uh, yeah, I said it was a short volume, but for those listening, it's uh, five hundred and. 17, 17 pages. So it's uh, it's uh, by no means a small volume. So Ian, just as a, as an editor, yeah. uh, tell me more about the process of. So obviously these are these kinds of things are secret. So we we don't want uh, the person to, to know that it's going to be yeah. uh, presented to them. So can you tell me that process? I'm so curious of how that went down. Yeah, the the secrecy part is hard, um, especially when you work in close proximity. You know, Steve and I both are, are very close to Dr. Haken, and you know, in regular, I, you know, this is this is this still tell you something of Dr. Haken. And I got in the mail today a uh, just a, a random letter from him. You know, just a card. Uh, he's just talking about some random stuff about my school where I teach and. You know, and and that's just him. You know, and and uh, and so you you always feel like you're kind of close with him even when you're far, and um, and so yeah, the secrecy bit was hard. The hardest part of that was actually when because Steve and I co-wrote the chapter on Dr. Aiken's life, and there was just some parts of it that the only way I could find out information that I needed was just to ask him. <laughs> and so I just you know you're asking him these random questions about his grandmother or something. He's like, well, what? <laughs> And, and so, uh, and so then all that kind of managed to get in without him noticing. I mean, I, I, you know, I was not present when the, when the, the book was gifted to him. Uh, we can get into that funny story in a moment, but, uh, from, from Steve, you're, you're an eyewitness. I take it that he was genuinely surprised. Was he not? He was. And I, I, uh, spoke to him after you and I had a conversation about this on my podcast and, uh, talked to him about that and, uh, and he again expressed his complete surprise. He's told me that many yeah. times, had absolutely no idea. And I don't think we actually, we did not tell Allison, did we? I don't think we no. told her at all. Uh, and she was really surprised and not necessarily happy by the surprise because she was thought she was going to dinner with a couple of friends and uh, was not attired <laughs> as she would have preferred for uh, for the kind of setting that we had, a, a pretty... Uh, fancy setting so uh, they were completely both surprised and uh, it was Austin uh, Walker I stayed with Austin and his wife last November and uh, they were telling the story from their perspective to me and uh, of course they got a big kick out of it as well so uh, that was yeah because what was the plan we we had like it was a dinner the day before the uh, I guess it was the Baltimore ETS and that's that's always November, right near Dr. Hagen's birthday, and so we had set up dinner the day before, and had uh, Austin and his wife. Uh, you know, they were supposed to be taking the Hagens out for dinner, 
Um, but lo and behold, the walkers are actually getting uh, Dr. Haken and Allison over to this, this to do this banquet sort of thing. Who it was uh, Dr. Nettles. Tom Nettles was yep. one of the speakers. Dr. Moeller, I think, was as well. Dr. Moeller was there. Yep. Ligon Duncan yeah. was there. So these are other people that contributed. We had a lot of contributors and a lot of people blurb the book, right? So Moeller, Dr. Moeller um, blurbs the book. Dr. Nettles was one of the contributors. Um, so yeah, it was neat. So my, my funny bit of that story, it was, um, I was driving, uh, down to Baltimore uh, with a really good friend who actually had taught uh, old Testament at TBS at Toronto Baptist seminary where I went and uh, where I think, are you, you must, you're out there now chance at TBS. I'm just finishing my last course. Okay. So me and this guy were driving down. I won't name his name just so he doesn't have to feel bad. It's not his fault. We're driving, uh, he and his wife, and uh, me in the back seat. And I think we're around Syracuse, New York, when his car decided to just die on the side of the road. <laughs> and we literally sat on the side of the highway in his, in his car for hours, you know, waiting for a tow truck to come get us and then get it fixed so we could make it down to, to Baltimore. <clears throat> and so we utterly and entirely missed uh, the, the, the dinner where they presented the book to him. So that was a real drag. Um, I mean, it is what it is, but um, yeah, so that made it even extra memorable for me. So one thing you say in the, the introduction yeah. is that it's more than uh, just a, a festrif. You know, when you talked about the aim of the book, uh, what do you mean by that? Can you, can you explain? Yeah, festrif, of course, is a, a word that means kind of a celebration of writing. And uh, that's, a term that's typically used to honor a scholar uh, upon some occasion, retirement or 60th, 65th birthday, uh, some major milestone in that uh, a person's academic career. And so uh, we wanted to do that. You know, we, were th th we wanted this to be a celebration of writing, and we obviously presented it uh, by surprise at a milestone birthday, his 60th. Uh, but we wanted it, like Ian described a few moments ago, we wanted it to be more than that because oftentimes Feshrafs simply uh, get uh, left on the shelf, disregarded because it's just thought, well, this is some kind of a puff piece. We didn't want to do a puff piece. We wanted to do a, a scholarly work again, with the, the best scholars we could find who had connections. Thankfully, Dr. Haken's friends are the greatest scholars in the evangelical world. So uh, we were able to uh, bring together those friends uh, who also happened to be the scholars on the period that we wanted them to address. And they gave us original contributions, I think, in almost every case. One thing that you guys said in the uh, introduction, which I found interesting and helpful and true, is when you're talking about uh, Dr. Higgins' book, so he says mm -hmm. specifically about his rediscovering the Church Fathers, you say, in this book, he modeled a way for Protestants to approach ancient texts. Readers were shown how to handle representative figures from representative periods with critical appreciation and an eye to contemporary usefulness. Likewise, uh, this volume follows a similar course. More than a festrif, it's intended to serve as a model for students and educated laypeople for how to approach the history of Christian spirituality. That's the best way to honor Dr. Haken. Dr. Haken is, you know, the model teacher. Yeah, he, you know, his his whole approach to the past is at once very scholarly and wide-ranging, not just in terms of the subjects that he tackles, because he did his PhD in patristics and 
now he's, you know, really focused on the Baptists, but he's done a lot of work on the Reformation and the Puritans. And, you know, he's even writing on, you know, aesthetics and color right now. Um, and so, but, but he's also, it's a, it's a wide breadth as well. When he, when he tackles a subject, he really understands that subject in, 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 his, in its cultural context. So he just has such a, he's, if he's dealing with the church fathers, he's got such a grasp of the, the ancient world, Greco-Roman culture, anything like that, that really informs his writing. And, and he's very concerned to bridge the gap um, between the past and the present, uh, between the academy and the church, um, such that, you know, we talk, historians talk about this usable past. I mean, he does such a good job with it. And one of the areas of focus for him because of his real interest in the work of the Holy Spirit is, um, is spirituality. And so that was kind of like the approach was that let's, let's, let's talk about how, you know, Anselm, um, you know, David Hogg's chapter, what, what is Anselm's spirituality? And why is it relevant for us today? And, uh, and, and I think that kind of approach is trying to get at the approach that Dr. Hicken typically takes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Not only is it a, a textbook of church history and, and Christian spirituality, but as you've said in the introduction, each chapter is not only teaching you, you know, that area, but it's teaching you how to study and how to read that area, which is so helpful. One of the things I guess I wanted to really pick your brains, because as a firing history guy, I get to sit down with two history guys. So uh, really, this podcast is a selfish selfish thing for me. So thanks uh, for indulging me. But so for inspiring historians, or whether that be, uh, you know, the an academic historian or professional historian, or a, past, a pastor who's, uh, who wants to study history, or even just a lay person, like what kind of advice do you have for someone like us who is sort of at the beginning, doesn't really know anything, uh, desires to, to grow in being a historian or uh, a remembrancer? Yeah, so I would want to get to the get to the primary sources as quickly as possible, uh, because um, what what many people discover is when they think that history is boring, they have had a history teacher who is boring, or maybe a history textbook that is boring, but history is not boring, and uh, the figures that uh, the individuals that we study in the history of Christianity are fascinating. And, uh, you know, the quicker that you get to what they were actually writing and uh, ish, dealing with, uh, of course, it's important to have secondary sources to serve as guides, especially as you get back into some of the uh, periods that we're less familiar with, like the patristic era, uh, to kind of set those figures in context. But getting to those uh, those primary sources and sometimes the best way to do that is is by having trusted guides like a Michael Haken, uh, like the chapters in the book that uh, uh, the Ian and I did, because those were scholars over a, a wide range of Christian history, uh, and, the, and 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 th- this is a work, a scholarly work like that has footnotes or in notes, and those notes are available there for you to track down. I often say that I, you know, I started reading, uh, you know, I was reading uh, Packer and Piper and uh, MacArthur and Sproul back when I was 19, and I was reading their books, and I started tracking down the footnotes. And uh, in, in many ways, that's what I'm doing 25 years later is still tracking down the footnotes from what I started when I started reading when I was 19 years old. 
and uh, you know they led me to Spurgeon and to the Puritans and to the Reformers, and uh, that's just a process that continues the rest of your life. Uh, there's always another one to track down, and so uh, I would encourage uh, that kind of process uh, to get to those primary sources as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, I, the primary sources are huge. We so often read books that are not at all engaged with primary source material. And you just think to yourself, how do I know if what you're saying is actually true without you actually engaging in a text? It's nothing that drives me more crazy. Um, as I was sitting there listening to Steve speak, and uh, you know, he mentioned the idea of, of uh, how history can sometimes be boring. Um, I hate that. I the last thing is, you know, Steve's right. The people we're writing about are fascinating. Things, things that they did, how they were used by God was just incredible. And to make history boring is, is a travesty, which is, again, one of the great things about Dr. Haken. We've all sat under his lecturing. I mean, how, how, many, how many times have you sat under, under him for three hours listening to a lecture on Edwards or something? And when you're done the other end of it, you're like, what? That was three hours? I just went by like a bullet. Uh, because he is a phenomenal storyteller. And um, I think that's a huge part about, uh, a, a huge necessary part of, of doing church history well, whether in terms of writing or whether in terms of public speaking. And, and so I would say, do the things that are going to make you into a good storyteller. Um, one thing that you could do is just read widely in literature, like really good literature, like who can tell a good story, you know? And uh, and just just soak in that sort of writing, and uh, and which is one thing Dr. Haken does for sure. And that'll just affect the way you write. That'll affect the way you speak. If you just if you, if you appreciate good stories, you'll tell good stories. And uh, and then I think that'll I think that goes a long way to combating the idea that history could be boring. You know, it's it's most often the fault of the, the professor or the writer than it is the actual subject matter. Yeah, I think you also have to, what, what Dr. Haken has and uh, good teachers have is a love for what they're doing yeah. and for what they're communicating. And uh, so, I mean, you can give a quiz at the end of a course you teach and the students will do best on the material that you're most passionate about. Yeah. It's amazing. And I've, I had, when I, when I was learning about the reformers. I was teaching in a Christian high school as a young man. And uh, no matter what I was teaching, if I was teaching chemistry or Spanish or uh, world history or whatever, they, what they learned in those classes was about Martin Luther. <laughs> and they remember 25 years later uh, uh, details about Martin Luther because I, I was passionate about that story. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that's an easy and fun story to tell, the story of Luther. But uh, what we're passionate about will be caught by those that we uh, teach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, if that passion oozes out of you, it's bound to be infectious and people will just pick up on it and love it. It's it's why Haken always has a whole group of people that like follow around, follow him around, um, imbibing what he does, you know, People tell me when I lecture that, you know, I have little Haganisms that come out even in my body language. It's just because you know, you're just around him so much, you can't help it. And uh, and so he, he just elicits that sort of emotion out of people for church history. And we all just, you, you can you can kind of spot a Hagen acolyte, you know, and sometimes it's a bit much, but um, <laughs> you know, he just has that effect. 
as soon as I start saying Isaiah or pronouncing my hate, saying H instead of H, then you know I've, I've, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, that, that took me the, uh, the H and E because he says H, H and E publishing and I'm always like, oh, wait, that's us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he explained that to me years ago. Yeah, he explained to me that that there's only two places in England uh, that that do that with H, and uh, I think, and one of them is where he comes from. I don't know if it's either Birmingham or Coventry, um, but um, yeah, so that that's supposed to be a, a sign of where you come from in England if you know British accents. And none of us can laugh like him, though. No, no. Who would? I love that it's his unique laugh. I would hate hate it if anybody else could do it you know because you know you know he's having a good time <laughs> when you hear that when the when the restaurant goes silent you know we're having a good time <laughs> that's great so uh this is just me picking your brain but uh so in your own personal research any tips that you have for your or any sort of systems that you guys do personally uh, as you're researching? What does research look like for you? What are the steps that you take? I know it's different for everyone. I'm just curious. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, Steve, because I, I, I have no good method. <laughs> I need to learn one. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to start with, if, if this is something or someone that's been written about before, I'm going to find uh, some of those brief surveys like in encyclopedias and uh, general church histories and just kind of get the lay of the land and uh, realize that uh, oftentimes those aren't written necessarily by specialists. Uh, they're more broad, popular level, but I want to get a broad lay of the land and uh, so I want to see what's out there, and then I want to get into some of the uh, uh, any major scholarly stuff that's been done, of course. Uh, but but I start looking for primary source material, especially things uh, that haven't been uh, accessed. And some of those things, you know, uh, like in American history, uh, th things that we have access to, like uh, personal papers and wills and letters. Uh, tax records, census records. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can get at that often gets missed uh, by church historians who are looking for the only for the ideas, which I'm mainly about. But uh, there's a lot of background material that that is available that we can access. So I'm kind of working through that that kind of a system as I'm uh, as I'm researching a new topic. Yeah, I guess for me, as I'm thinking about it, um, it all depends on the topic, really, that I'll be writing on. Sometimes they're given to me. Um, Steve and I both uh, contributed uh, chapters to a multi-volume set uh, called A Noble Company, um, which is Baptists in America. And then they have a, a singular volume. The, the, the final 12th volume of this set is, is on Canadian Baptists. And uh, the, two, the two figures that I wrote on uh, I had I'd never heard of them before. They're very obscure uh, early American Baptists. One was named Otis Robinson. The other one was Archibald McClay. And uh, the publishers, the late uh, Terry Walliver at um, a particular Baptist Press, as well as Gary Long, they just said, here, write on this guy. Here's a bunch of stuff that we got. They actually sent it to me in the mail. And uh, and it was like from there, I had to, and, and I couldn't, like I couldn't do anything else than have to dig into the guy because there was nothing else written about them. And, uh, and th those were good experiences. Um, you know, I got a, kind of a broad outline of a life going, and then you're just trying to fill in 
uh, pieces of information. I'll be honest with you, I have no idea how people uh, did scholarly work without the internet. It boggles my mind because, I mean, I just go down so many rabbit trails uh, that turn out to be fruitful just from internet searching. And uh, man, you know, I did my doctoral work on Arnold Ballamore and, uh, you know, when he was writing on Whitfield, he would have to go over to the UK and go to all these various places, museums, universities, came back. He was on the up and down the Eastern seaboard looking at archives and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, you know, I just can hop on the internet and do it now. Um, so yeah, if I'm writing on somebody that I don't know, that's, I just, you just gotta go deep and as hard as you can. If it's somebody you're more familiar with, um, then you're probably gonna have a framework in your mind already. And I'm just gonna start putting stuff down that I already know trying to fill it out as much as possible and then really kind of digging in um, and I want to I want to know what the key primary sources are I need to be reading and then what are the best secondary sources um, so I'll read a lot of book reviews just to make sure that you know this source that I'm using is a real good and reliable source if I'm not familiar with it and things like that but yeah it depends on what I'm writing on well that's really great really helpful I uh I was listening to a lecture by actually Terry he was it was on doing American research in the archives or something. And one thing he mentioned, which I found to be just so helpful, is he said, always make sure you photocopy the title page of whatever you're citing and include it with, uh, with you know, the documents that you're stapling together. And that's been like so, it seems so simple, but it's been amazing. <laughs> so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that from Dr. Haken. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Terry is. Uh, I learned that from Dr. Haken as well. Uh, may, I, probably, Ian, you first learned that uh, in making copies for him, and yeah. he told you how to do it. Uh, you get the cover, and then you also get the page that has the uh, publishing information yeah. that shows all the editions and so forth. Uh, and so I, I always do that for my stuff now. Uh, Terry, uh, I was able to to attend some lectures with him uh, where he taught. Uh, on this subject and this was a, a wow. guy who was uh excellent and that he is the one i learned to do the kind of genealogical type research uh looking for wheels looking at census data looking at newspapers looking you know there's so many sources that we often uh miss and uh he's the one who taught me that and uh yeah he was a great great scholar he came over and did a lecture uh, for us at uh, Southern at one on one occasion, kind of something Dr. Haken put together. Uh, it was uh, maybe a morning and afternoon. I can't remember surrounded surrounding a lunch, but uh, it was a, a very helpful day. So my next question is, is actually kind of practical. What can a pastor do to help future historians? Um, I think for pastors, I think that, with anything in your church, I think if you kind of cr can create an atmosphere, um, you know, of any, anything can create, if you, if you help create an atmosphere of evangelism in your services, then people are going to become evangelistic, uh, in your church. And if you create an atmosphere of a love for church history, um, then, then, you know, the historians are going to feel validated. Some people discover history for the first time and want to, you know, pursue it. Um, and so to do things, just very practical things like, you know, what we, when I, I would, I would, um, was an assistant pastor in, in Toronto at West Toronto Baptist church. And, uh, we would give away books, 
uh, you know, we would at the end of a service after the sermon, just ask a question about what the sermon was based on and somebody could throw out an answer and we'd hurl a book at them into the pews, you know, uh, often church history books using church history as um, sermon illustrations, um, doing some Sunday school lessons on church history, all those kinds of things, capitalizing on good moments like, you know, October 31st, Reformation Day, celebrating Luther, um, and those kinds of things, I think is really important. I One one thing that maybe not all your viewers would appreciate me saying, maybe you guys won't either, but uh, I, I would love to see, especially for low church people, um, to recapture the church calendar. And, uh, and maybe, you know, I think you can, you know, we do that to a degree with Christmas and, and Easter. Um, but I think if we kind of, not that we want to venerate saints or anything like that, but, you know, if, if you've got the feast day of St. Saint, of Saint Augustine, um, maybe throw some Augustine in your sermon, some quotes, reference to him and tell people why, you know, and those, those force you to have occasions where you got to speak about church history. Then. Yeah, I think as a pastor, I'm uh, right before the pandemic hit, I was in the middle of a series, a 13 week Sunday school class teaching a survey of church history. Uh, it's first time I've done anything like that. I have taken Sunday evenings and, and taught through Baptist history before. Uh, but certainly Reformation Day, using uh, quoting from people from church history, uh, using events from church history as a uh, as illustrations uh, that I mentioned. I, I may have already said Reformation Day like Ian did. Uh, highlighting, obviously, a good opportunity to highlight the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so, yeah, those are kinds of things that I think are, are very helpful. Uh, and again, your people, Ian said this already, but your people will catch what you are passionate about. And so uh, you don't really have to cram stuff down people's throat. You just have to love the truth, love church history, love theology, love the word of God. And those, uh, there will be people who will be captivated by that and be interested in it as a result of that. Uh, so that's that's what I would commend for a pastor. Uh, I would also uh, argue that uh, what we do, how we handle a text, biblical text, as a preacher, really we want to understand the the human author. Uh, we want to understand the historical context. And we want to interpret that and explain it to people. Of course, we're dealing, when we're preaching the Bible, we're not only dealing with a human text, we're dealing with a divine text, a text that's divinely inspired. And yet, as we look at it, uh, using grammatical historical approach of interpretation, we're, we're going to be uh, understanding that text as uh, the author intended it, the human author, and as the original human recipients uh, receive, you know, received it. That's helped me as a pastor historian. I use that, uh, title for myself and Ian stole it for his, for his, uh, you know, that was one of those things where we both came to that independently. I remember I got this cool phrase, pastor historian, and I kind of kept it myself. And then all of a sudden you labeled your website that. Like, oh, <laughs> great minds think alike. So, uh, but, but, uh, one of, one of the things I'm thinking about as a pastor historian is I don't have to change the way I think when I'm, when I'm doing church history and researching primary sources, I still want to understand that person in his historical context, what he meant by the words that he uses, what his original readers would have understood, 
Um, and so a very similar process. Now, I don't, again, I'm not equating church history or uh, the writings of human beings not inspired by the Holy Spirit with Scripture. Uh, so just be clear about that. But it's the same, the same way of reverencing uh, and handling a text and communicating and explaining those texts in many ways. And so uh, that helps me. And I think it can be a model. It can be a model just as a faithful preacher. Uh, you model how to read and how to interpret and how to explain. One thing, just to add uh, one other thing to your question. Uh, one, one way that pastors could encourage uh, at least some in the church into, into doing church history especially if you're in an older church, uh, is to have somebody write the history of your church. Um, I, this didn't, this did, didn't happen with any pastors of mine, but uh, Dr. Haken and I co-authored two really small books. Um, they were two of the first books I ever wrote. Um, one was the history of Houston Street Baptist Church, which is in Hamilton, Ontario. And the other is a uh, Mount Pleasant Road Baptist Church, which is in Toronto. And he and I, there were celebrations coming up for anniversaries for those two churches, and they commissioned us to write the histories. And uh, and that was that. Those two, especially the Houston Street book, uh, were incredibly formative for me. I mean, that, that was that's one of the most significant uh, parts of my education was to just sit down with a seasoned historian like Haken, go through primary sources, put all this together, and give a book to a church, and they absolutely loved it. And so if you're a pastor, you're in a church that's, you know, like 50 to 100 years old. I mean, you could do it with a newer one, too. But and you have somebody in your church that that's just loves church history and wants to do something Just say, here, here's our minutes. Here are people that were around 50 years ago. Go talk to them and uh, let's put something down, even if it's in a little booklet that's staple bound or something like that. Let's get something down about this church and understanding how our church fits into the larger stream of church history is really great for the people because it'll foster a love for church history for them. It'll give them a sense of their identity. They're like, oh, this is how we fit into these bigger stories. Our story's small, it's significant to us and not to everybody else, but we fit in, you know? And that, so, I, I mean, I remember going, it was weird, both with Houston Street and with uh, Mount Pleasant, you know, to show up at these the, the, the events, whether they're giving out the book for the first time and having people asking me, can you sign my book? I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, it was really neat, and, and and that was just a really great way uh, to get to get that those two churches really into church history, Canadian Baptist history, their own personal church's history. So that'd be another one. Yeah, uh, we talked a lot about primary sources, and I'm curious of in fifty, a hundred years from now, what are the primary primary sources that future historians are going to use for us? It's <laughs> a scary thought. Emails, tweets. Is there anything the average pastor or mom or dad or layperson can do now to help a future historian, say, 100 years from now? Your churches definitely can. Keep good minutes. For your church meetings, keep minutes. One of the most important primary sources for studying church history, especially um, you know, from the early modern period on, is to go and research in churches and look at their minute books, or if you find denominational archives where they're stored and going through minute books, you just get the life of the church. And, uh, and, and we have them all digitally now, uh, you know, the way we do our churches or conduct our church meetings, those can get deleted and they're gone. And that's like a whole part of uh, the documentation of the life of a church. That's just poof. 
And so I, I think a huge thing to do is to make sure that you have very good, good minute keeping and that you, you print them and have them stored in a minute book in an archive somewhere. Yeah, that's great. That's really helpful. Well, let's, uh, I have a couple more questions here um, before we close, but so are there any projects that either of you are working on right now? I'm working on a church history, actually. We were just talking about church history. I'm doing a 200-year uh, history for a, a church in our area. It's a significant church in uh, Kentucky Baptist, Southern Baptist history, and uh, Buck Run Baptist Church. So I'm working on that, as well as a couple of articles uh, on the use of confessions of faith in Baptist history. So two different people have asked me to write on that this month. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm working on that uh, one for a, a, an academic journal and another for a book on uh, the use of confessions of faith in Baptist life. Oh, cool. Have you, sorry, Steve, this is a bit of an aside. Do you, have you read uh, Matthew Bingham's uh, Orthodox Radicals yet? No, I haven't yet. Oh, they, I, I need to. Yeah. I can't. I can't afford it yet. I know. I got to review. I'm reviewing it for the Andrew Fuller Center's uh, journal. Oh, good. Uh, so I got mine for free, thankfully. But it is awesome. It's awesome, and that that opening chapter will help you with that Baptist confession stuff. Uh, the books. Yeah, I've been I've been reading. Uh, I've re I've been reading some of his stuff, some of his articles and things he's done. Matthew, really good. Matthew Bingham is gonna is an up and coming historical theologian. His work is stellar. I'm jealous. Um, I'm uh, right now. I, I just this summer. I had a fairly productive summer when it came to writing. Thankfully, um, I finally got my dissertation edited for publication and sent off to the publisher. So that's coming out hopefully in September with Van and Heck and Ruprecht uh, that Steve published. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the like the three people that actually read it. Um, <laughs> And uh, I appreciate the help of it too. And um, yeah, it's, and your dissertation is published in the same series with Ben and Heck and Ruprecht. Um, so I'm in August company. Um, and then of course, Chance, as you know, your, your H&E is publishing my little uh, amplified uh, Master of Divinity dissertation I wrote with under Haken at Toronto Baptist Seminary that I expanded into a book. Uh, so it looks like uh, it's, it's, it's a study of Augustine and uh, the later Pelagian controversy with uh, it's not really a controversy per se, but addressing the issue of the freedom of the will with some monks in North Africa. And then I kind of trace that out as to show his pastoral heart in that. So that, I don't know, you you know better than I do, Chance, when that one's going to come out. <laughs> and uh, and then I did a chapter for um, uh, Paul Wilson, who used to be the historian at Heritage. And uh, I'm connected with Paul and those guys at the Canadian Baptist Historical Society. They're, they're editing a volume with Whippenstock in the McMaster series. Uh, it's on Canadian Baptist fundamentalism. And so I did the chapter on the history of the fellowship of evangelical Baptists. Um, so that'll hopefully come out later this year. Um, and I'm doing a couple book, re book review, doing a book review of Richard Snoddy's phenomenal little book on Usher that he did with the Davenant Institute. Uh, Usher and the and the Reformed Episcopal Church, a really good book. And then I'm I'm reviewing Matthew Bingham's um, Orthodox Radicals. So I got a bunch of stuff coming out, which is really good. Nathan Finn, I mean Steve, are you in that? Uh, Nathan Finn has a two volume book coming out. I think that's with H and E as well, right? So on Fuller. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is that H and E? Are you doing the Fuller uh, with Finn and uh, Jeff Robinson? I think. Uh, I think it needs to be confirmed, but that's a plan. 
okay i i'd heard that so i i, I at least said hey that's a great idea um and i have a chapter in that coming out too so that's great. So this last question, it overlaps sort of what you guys were already talking about. But uh, what is there anything particular that you're reading right now? Obviously, you're reading those uh, books for reviewing. Anything else? A biography of uh, Dwight Eisenhower. I've been reading some presidential biographies. So I've read Sh- uh, Now's, uh, uh biography of Washington and Grant recently. And I'm also, I've also started his uh, book on Hamilton, which is fantastic. All of his stuff is so good. And, uh, but, uh, right now working on, uh, Eisenhower in war and peace. So yeah, I've got two or three other things that I've got. I, I used to only read one thing at a time and read straight through and start the next. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I find that I'm in different moods at different times of the day or different days of the week. Or, uh, and so I read what I'm in the mood for at the moment. And there's some things that I can read at night and there's some things that I can't. And, uh, anyway, it's just, I've got several things going at a time. Um, yeah, I'm exactly the same. If you've ever read, uh, Alan Jacobs book, uh, the pleasures of reading in an age of distraction, he just encourages that. He says, read on your whim, just whatever you want. Oh, this looks interesting. Read it. Cause that's the one you'll want to read. Um, and so I, I tend to do that. Um, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff on the go too. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm rereading a book that I read in high school that had a huge impact on me in high school uh, called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And, uh, you know, one of those beat novels. Um, and it's been interesting to reread it. I, I, re, I, I was prompted to reread it because in my philosophy course uh, this semester, I'm using Jamie Smith's On the Road with St. Augustine uh, as a textbook that my students will have to do a book review of. And, and Smith is engaging heavily with uh, Kerouac's book. So I thought, oh, I better reread this. And it's, it's been fun because uh, the main character, uh, Sal Paradise, goes back and forth across the states in the mid, mid-20th century and spends a heck of a lot of time in Denver in his multiple journeys. And I'm now able to identify with this book just from the places he talks about, um, which has really been kind of neat. Uh, I'm reading uh, Yoram Hazani's uh, The Virtue of, of, Nation- Virtue of Nationalism. Um, which is kind of this new sort of book that, you know, kind of all good conservatives are reading um, on the importance of, of the nation um, and na- national identity. That's that's a really helpful book. Um, I'm reading Vaughn Roberts's uh, God's Big Picture, um, which we, Steve and I, are teaching separately, uh, but for the same school, California Baptist University, we're teaching uh, the introduction of the Bible course. And that's the text. It is. Awesome. It's great. I really love the Great book. It is such a good little book. Just get, it approaches the biblical storyline through the, through the lens of kingdom and just traces out kingdom with major emphasis on place, um, worship of God and, uh, the temple and things like that. It's been a really good little book. Um, and, and then, yeah, those other two, the Richard Snotty and the Matthew Bingham books. So um, my next one is going to be, Black Elk Speaks, I want to read next. That's exciting. I will put these in the show notes, and uh, then people will be able to track them down. But yeah, but brothers, uh, it's been great to have you guys. Thanks for chatting. And if not for anyone else, this uh, has been helpful for myself. So, oh, well, it was fun. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Chance. <laughs>